I've known people who were lawyers who transitioned into, into coding. It's a completely different mindset, but they've done it through a passion, a desire to, to do that. And they're not going to be told by those people who are already incumbents in the industry that they can't do it. Welcome to Lawagon Live. This week, we have Sam Barton talking to us, CTO at Smart Pension. Sam transitioned into tech after spending six years of his career as a creative director and photographer and is now leading a team of developers to deliver the best auto-enrollment tech solution in the pension market. He's got an awesome story to tell, one of career transition, market disruption and entrepreneurship. Keep listening to how he achieved his dreams. I guess we'll, we'll kick start with the first question. So what made you switch your career from like being a photographer to working in tech? It's a good question. Um, so um, I guess I, you know, you, I have to start with. I'm a little bit older than the audience, I would imagine. Uh, so when I was um, growing up, the concept of uh, coding was was not the first thing you did, albeit I had, had done a little bit. Um, so actually, I, I my focus when I when I when I left school was was photography. My mum was a was a model, was in front of the camera. My dad worked behind the camera, and so you know, I, I grew up around photography. Everything I did was, <clears throat> was 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 photography. So left school, went straight into that. Um, I had a great time for about seven years working in photography, and I worked behind the scenes processing film and and printing pictures. And I, I then worked as an assistant, working for some really cool photographers. I met some amazing people from um, uh, pop stars to film stars and and even royalty. So it was good. It was that was really good good fun. But it's 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 a creative world you know it's it's fantastic it's a it's like um it's a bug you can't get rid of i absolutely love photography and i never i never lose it but i'm quite strategic in my thinking and how i how i work and i i just knew that i was either going to be a huge success in photography and make a lot of cash and and you know be able to support family or i wasn't there was no sort of you know gray area you you're either amazing or you're just not making enough money um and i kind of bit the bullet and I went oh, it's, it's I'm gonna to have to release my passion and that kind of happened by accident um I the, the as I was transitioning out of photography and um, Photoshop came along um and one of the photographers I was working for a, a really great guy he bought Photoshop this is when you bought it it came on a disc and you know you owned Photoshop it was fantastic um but it was also a time when Photoshop you know, it came on a disc, but if you didn't have a computer with a CD-ROM drive, which was a thing, um, they also gave you the the all of the same software on, in, in this case, seven different floppy floppy disks. So you had to sort of post them in one at a time. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that was my invitation to Photoshop. I got the floppy disks. He got the CD-ROM, and um, I suddenly dived into the world of Adobe. And uh, it, you know, within weeks, I was hooked. So you very quickly move from. How do you take a picture, mix chemicals, get the picture perfectly right, and to hang on, I, I can do this so quickly in in software. And then you show people the pictures, and they were like, "This is great," but I, I need to share it with people. I want it. And the internet had just begun. You know, the, we, we weren't talking huge quantities of websites. We we're talking some people had a page. Um, and so I was moving from digital software to how do I actually you know write a little bit of HTML CSS and, and and post this JPEG onto a page and it moved into a well how do I make money and out of that and that from there I set up a, a design agency um, and ran that for, for about seven years so photography um, you know the, the craft of it the science of it etc into image but then how do I make money out of that image convert that into making websites and 
eventually that business, the the design business, uh, started building um, applications. How do you how do you take data from the internet and turn that into marketable data? Uh, good fun with Microsoft, Kodak, uh, Toshiba, all kinds of people making websites for them. Cool. So how did you gain those technical skills? Was it like DOI trial and error, or did you go on any courses? Or how did you sort of get the skills to be able to go from playing around on Photoshop to having a yeah, design well, agency? There was, there was no Luagan at the time. Um, we've just heard it was 2013. So I'm afraid this was before then. This is the 90s. Um, I, yeah, so I, I, there's no YouTube either. I, you did, you, there were people who would teach. So you would... Um, by courses and they would be again delivered to you on a cd-rom and it'd be sort of um screen share courses and they would walk you through tutorials so um no real different to, to the kind of things you might find on youtube today except somebody has specifically focused on a certain area uh, you know and i i um but also the packages were so much simpler there was there are fewer options so when you're doing when you're dealing with the world of photoshop it was you know tools of you know up to three or four inches worth of tools rather than the plethora of tools there are today. So you could quite quickly get into get into it. And the other word is tenacity. You know, you've got to be passionate about it. This is the, everyone on this on this webinar has signed up to Luwagon because they want to code and it's no different. You've just got to want to do this. Okay, great. And so how did you sort of transition from that to being the CTO of Smart Pensions? Yeah, so that's quite a story. Um, so again, seven years of photography, seven years running my own agency. Um, the agency sort of did its own thing. It was great. I was getting all kinds of business, and you could make, you know, you could make websites for twenty thousand pounds because these were new. These were, you know, websites were new then. But where where the money was was application development, and that was the tail end of me working as an agent in the agency that I'd set up. And the application development stuff was was fascinating, um, but you really needed. Um, to be in a big environment to 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 make a difference in 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 the world of this is this is the sort of the the the, the um web 2.0 world where the internet was moving away from basic html and suddenly flash was a thing and you 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 suddenly got marketing opportunities i had um a good friend who was who was the creative director at, an, at another agency and they had won some business off um ebay and eBay was brand new at the time. They had 50 employees in the UK. Um, and um, whilst people had heard about eBay and it was a big business, they were still figuring some stuff out. So the the pieces of work that had been sold to this to, to eBay were very digital-led, but the agency didn't have a digital department. So I was brought in, having done all the sort of application development stuff, to facilitate the delivery of these projects. And this is at a time when there's no AWS, there's no cloud hosting, there's no scalability. So if you wanted to build a project, you had to not just build the application, but build all the hardware. So um, at the time, eBay had run all of their hardware out of um, San Jose, but they weren't going to lease more hardware back to the UK operation. You're on your own. So um, I stood up some literally boxes with Rackspace and databases and firewalls and all kinds of things set up the equivalent of the ebay infrastructure and bear in mind they were doing two million page impressions a day so you've got a you know that's a lot of boxes there's no auto scaling there um and uh you know we stuck the um software on there it was a huge success interesting part about that was a colleague at the time the, the, the chap i was dealing with a guy called will win um uh, we were we just got into the thick of it we really enjoyed it we spent a couple of weeks day and night working on this project it was a big success at ebay 
they actually asked us to do another project and um we got on so well we, uh, will asked me to um help him out with a sort of uh, side project he had in mind uh, an online website for selling flowers to people um it was a relatively new idea you've heard of interflora well this was the idea of selling flowers online no one was doing this and so as a as a weekend project everyone's done little weekend projects um you know you're sitting there in your bedroom going this is going to be a thing this is going to be amazing um we've all tried it i'm sure and um in this particular case it, it did really well it's a business that's still running today and it uh it, it, it churns over millions of pounds of, of money and probably, you know, I wouldn't, might, wouldn't be surprised if several people have used uh, flowers from, from that business. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good business today. It's called Arena Flowers. And if, um, or if you've heard of Moonpig or, or, or um, Devonhams, you may have bought flowers from them and actually had them come out of, of, that, of that warehouse, which is still running. Great. So what would you say is like the, you know, what skills to gain or, or do you find to be able to transition a career into tech and like consolidate everything into into a tech career yeah i suppose um there, there are a couple of things these are disciplines they are things that have driven me whether they apply to everybody i don't know but it's a what i will share is um there's a i think the first thing is is the work ethic having the uh work ethic to get out of bed and do stuff that that's kind of job one you need that if you're going to if you want to make that transition and you need you need to be able to um demonstrate to others who you've got to then work with that you can you can achieve those things where it's where it, you can have the work ethic but it's often you're going to be confronted with challenge how can i do the how can i learn coding how can i learn another language how can i you know i've i've known people who were lawyers who transitioned into into coding it's it's a completely different mindset but they've done it through a passion a desire to 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 do that and they're not going to be told by those people who are already incumbents in the industry that they can't do it and that's very um that's a big barrier to, to get over so you've got to have the, the, this passion that that sort of self-determination to to drive yourself forward and, and not let go and one of the things that i've been most excited about about the the people who come out of these courses is that passion because you can't buy that you know it's you you see it when you do interviews and some people are you know excellent coders but they don't come at you with this passion to, to sort of change things and be different but, but invariably, somebody who has decided to make that switch and decided to do a crash course comes out of it, bursting out the doors, desperate to make a difference. And um, that passion allows you to not just make a difference, not just sort of um, present yourself, if you like, to the, to, the, to the new business, but you're going to absorb new information far faster. I find that the people who come out of these courses tend to be a sponge for information long after they've accepted the job. And so... That, that six, eight, 12 week intense course, whatever it is, is a great way of dialing you up to another volume knob and, you know, and suddenly allow you to, to be empowered. And so for me, that was the same thing. It's, it's having that passion and not going to get pushed down. I'm going to try something else and I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm the best at it. And that piece, they have a word for it. It's called an entrepreneur. Now you're not an entrepreneur when you're trying to you know, switch careers. You're an entrepreneur when you're setting up a new business, but effectively you're doing the same thing. You're switching your mind from A to B and you're you're trying to solve problems that, you know, maybe other people haven't had to do before and you're doing it on your own. So having an entrepreneurial spike in you, it's something that 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 spark that spark in you, that really is helpful. And I wouldn't be surprised if lots of people on this course are of that mindset because it's it's the thing that drives you forward. Um so um yeah, so obviously you're now the CTO of um, Smart Pensions. What's that journey for Smart Pensions been like? Because I know obviously you're quite a big team. 
but obviously he didn't start off that that size. No, no, and definitely not. Um, so let's go back a tiny bit. So when I switched out of doing that thing with eBay and we went with Will to do Arena Flowers, that ran, I was working with him on that for over 10 years and before I transitioned across with him to um, Smart Pension. Now, what we had done at Arena was build a successful business, but yeah, uh, we focused on a Ruby stack, um, you know, obviously front end, built our own API, um, which we started off with World of Rackspace, but eventually moved into, into Rackspace Cloud and then AWS when that came along. So we took a lot of learning. We took a lot of understanding into that and brought it across to Smart. The other thing we learned in that period, we had a very small team and that business initially in the first few years, and that's true of any startup, you are paying as you go along. You know, you're earning money, you're paying your staff, you're earning money, paying your staff. So we didn't have 50, 60 people in the engineering team. We had, you know, a core of four or five, then then six or seven, and then, you know, it, it grew. But it wasn't a massive team. Um, but it, it was perfect for what we needed. Um, the team is growing now, and it's it's, but it's also at the same time, you know, that the business is much, that business is much more about, um, staff who produce product and and uh, people on the phones, etc. When we when we moved into when we set up Smart, um, we took all of our learnings from that. And by that I mean sometimes you have to make tough choices. Do you upgrade Rails? Do you upgrade that uh, library that that your your front end is running on, or do you add that new feature that's going to bring in you more revenue? And you you are making those decisions on the fly. With Smart, especially a financially regulated business. We couldn't make those sorts of decisions. You add those features and you do all the updates. And um, we'd learned a lot around test coverage. Test coverage wasn't a thing when we started Arena. Test coverage is, you know, you, you don't, you're probably learning right now, you don't want to ship any code without test coverage. So, and I hope you are. Um, so all of those best practices were baked in at the very beginning with Smart. And so our code is 100%, well, 98% test coverage, I think is our, our current score. Um, you, we run a very clean CI and CD pipeline. Um, we've we've always got you know upgrades going along alongside our features, and we started with a small team like anyone else, but we've incrementally grown the team. And the, the as you grow, we've held on to those best practices. We've made sure each new engineer follows the same best practices, and that and has instilled in the idea that you you know code quality comes first. That's a that's a key metric for us. Okay, and and how do you um, how do you keep that? How do you keep that going and sort of that build that culture? Yeah, um, I love to be in the thick of it. You know, always if I had the choice, I would be sat next to engineers and um, we'd be, you know, figuring out problems. And I certainly was at the very beginning. Um, we started with a team of you know a couple of people. You grew that to the five or six. You then grow out to ten, fifteen, and you know throughout that process. You are mates. There's no question about it. You go out for beers and and, and you know you, you know everyone's birthdays. Um, that was true. At 35, I think 33, I, I needed a hand. I put my hand up and I, I I hired a head of engineering, a really great guy called Brad, and um, he's he came along. He joined, and we knew we were going to scale the business. We we're going to scale the engineering team. But even at 33, you know everyone's names. You know you're, you're good friends with everybody. That's not a big team. Um, 50, you still know everyone's names. It's when it's when it sort of crosses a threshold. I think it was sort of 75. Uh, you miss a meeting, you miss a, a, an interview, and then, and then somebody's sitting at a desk and you realize, I don't know who you are. And um, 
it's embarrassing, but you have to wander up to them and go, listen, I'm Sam, I'm CTO. I'd be great if you told me your name and, you know, <laughs> how are you getting on? That happened for a little bit and it was kind of fine. I made sure I checked in. We have a Slack channel for, you know, recruitment. We know, I know all the names and we have an email that goes around every Monday. So we know that people are going to land. So it should be fine. But it's engineering. It's my heart, right? So I, I feel embarrassed sometimes when I have to ask that horrible question. I'm sorry. My name's Sam. What's your name? Um, it does happen. But the... Um, We've now got to 170 odd, and you know that's 16 teams, around eight to nine people in there, and you've got uh, QAs, you've got scrum masters, product owners, and it kind of wraps around the engineering team, and, and each team works on a certain area. Um, and we've now got to a place where I have a lot of people in the UK, um, I have people in um, in Poland, in Croatia, and even in Minsk. Um, they're all fantastic people. We followed our same recruitment process as we've hired them. But, um, and that is not to go to an agency and say, here's my code, please don't cock it up. It's, it's, it's been a case of, um, we'll follow our recruitment process, our culture, our, our ways of working, we'll take that to your, your place of work and we will then find good people who, who, who fit our culture and, and, and bring those people back into our, our way of working, our culture. And so that's that key word there. It doesn't really matter about geography. It doesn't really matter about um, their personal preferences, you know, how they vote, et cetera. It's, it's do they fit our culture and can they code like us? And we've maintained that discipline of good quality code, test coverage, best practices we all spoke about before, but also importantly, that word culture. So we are a team of 170, maybe some of the names, I don't remember every single one of them, but they all represent the same culture. And that's meant that when we do go to the pub together, we are an identical team, no different to when we were sort of 15 people. And, and that's, for us, a vital part about how we work together. Great. There's just a, another quite interesting question that's come through. Um, so, so what is your sort of day-to-day -day life look like as a, as a CTO? Um, well, right now, I'm sat at home, <laughs> locked down, just like you, Henry. Uh, so day-to-day -day life is... Um, um, it's actually not that not that crazily different. Um, you know, when you get to a team size, you know, like like ours, uh, you're doing a lot of remote working. Everyone's used to Slack. Everyone's used to to, to meet or, or or Zoom, whatever it is you, you choose. So that bit's fine. Um, there is no substitute for um, having a good sort of team session down the pub. Um, but we do this now and then. We have a beer the end of, uh, every Friday. Everyone remotely dials in. So we we try and hold that together. But to answer your question, um, the best example I can give you is um, just before lockdown. Um, so beginning this year, uh, I started off by going to Dublin. One of our, um, our our software has done quite well in the UK, and we've resold our software to the Bank of Ireland and well, the, the, the New Ireland insurance, the, 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 the um, insurer over there. Uh, and so they're using our software. So I went to Dublin to check that our software was running okay before it went live. Um, then I flew out with my colleague, Martin. We went to uh, America. We're starting a, a project in America, same sort of thing, same software, but making it suit the Americans. Um, so we were over there for uh, a couple of weeks, landed back a couple of weeks later, flew to Australia, um, similar sort of thing, slightly different shaped project. Um, oh, it's great. I love Australia. It's also sunny at this time, at that time of year, which is March. And I had uh, pit lane tickets for the F1. I, some, somebody managed to uh, wangle that for me. And I'm a huge F1 nut. So that was amazing. Um, until 
that morning they cancelled it because of COVID. And so suddenly there was a sort of rush to get back on the plane, get home, uh, land on the plane, wheels down, get into Paddington. And, you know, Boris is saying we're all locked down. So I, I haven't even been to the office since that trip. I've came straight home. I've been sat in this office for, you know, however many months it is. Um, and nothing's really changed. You know, we, we ship now 25, 30 times a day into production. And that hasn't really changed uh, culturally. You know, we, we sort of we, we hold the same net together. Um, yes, it'd be fun to be in the pub that's down the road in the office. And it'd be fun to, to do a few of those sort of team bonding things. I do have meetings that would be a little bit more fun if they were abroad. But um, other than that, not a lot has changed. Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. So maybe we should be cutting down on those emails. <laughs> Um Another good question has come through. It's quite quite close to my heart. Um, so um, sort of after having a, a good attitude and a passion for, for coding, um, what else would you recommend for people um, just finishing a boot camp looking for a job in tech? There's, there's a couple of approaches. You, you, you either go in with an open mind and um, see what the business is about. Um, I'm going to say that because my business had the word pensions at the end of it, which sounds horrendous, doesn't it? It sounds so mundane. Um, but it genuinely isn't. If you're making a difference in what you're doing, if your code in production is being used by lots of customers, that is a thing. But that's quite a selfish statement, so I will retract that. I think the... The key one is then having a good understanding of where you want to go. So you've done eight weeks, you've done 12 weeks, whatever the number is. It's not a lot of time to touch on all of the different coding options. And one of the challenges you'll face is you'll be told, all right, you've got a good toolkit. You can go off and try out different things. I heard Celine talking about data science. It's a great area of data science. But you do need to have that mindset. And that's no different from front end or back end. You need to kind of, you'll find that you favor it. I saw somebody on here who's, who's got a title that's full stack developer. That is a great thing to achieve. If you can say you are a full stack developer um, and you can go into a business, you're going to get welcomed with open arms. But in all honesty, are you a full stack developer or do you have a leaning towards one side or the other? That's that's the reality. And going into it after your, your course, you'll find that you do have a personal preference or at least something you naturally lean towards. Some people prefer JavaScript to algorithms you write that are computational, back-end coding. Um, so if you're confident you know which direction, that will help you. Um, the other one I would say is you're, you're going to meet very quickly some people who have tons of experience. Let them teach you. Let them you know, hear what they have to say, because um, if you... If you go in with an attitude that you've, you've, you've heard that before, you know what that answer that is, even if you think you've heard it, let it come from somebody else because they'll have a slightly different take on, on that particular topic. So the much as long the, the longer you can retain that uh, ability to learn and be a sponge, the more powerful you will become. I can say this with some confidence because when we were 15, when we were 33 people, we couldn't justify bringing on people from the wagon or, or makers because we would have to stop what we were doing and then sit next to that person and teach them. Not just teach them about our business and our domain and, and how our coding worked, but also teach teach them how some of the fundamental principles of coding works. And so you'd actually be continuing the course that they'd just come from, as well as teaching them about the business, et cetera. So that we couldn't justify doing it. And it wasn't until we as a business were much larger that we could separate out and build up internal programs for taking on trainees and then building them up. We take on 
but we've had three different teams now where we've brought in teams from, from the wagon and others and then turned them into uh, a, a training team and then brought them from being trainees who are new to it into being different types of um, disciplines, front end, back end and, and so forth. And um, as they have learned with us, they've also grown. So they've had that opportunity to be part of our best practice, part of our culture, but also try out different um, tickets. You know, is it a front-end ticket? Is it a back-end ticket? And eventually you find a preference. And so if you can come armed with that preference, you're going to be in a good position. But if you have the option to go to a business that gives you the choice, that's even better. So trying those things out, being open-minded, knowing what you want and um, you know, having a having a list. And that, the, the, the final thing I'll leave you with is, is um, on that point is, is regardless of this and you know this course and, and everything else have a have a to-do list have a set of tasks or, or milestones you want to try and achieve if you have switched careers you're going to start potentially at a lower salary bracket but you want to you want to figure out how you're going to move that milestone you're going to go from you know whatever that that, that value is that 30 40k whatever it is you're going to start with back up to another number and, and and wider as an engineer you will eventually earn lots of money so figure out how you're going to get there and the things you want to do to achieve that because you'll find that not every business may give you the opportunity and you might want to continue learning outside of that J job you might want to do some stuff and or pair with people in the in, in the business you join who, who can help you get there but know what you want to do but just follow on from that say you don't have a preference front end back end but there's a particular industry so let's use fintech for an example do you find that there's a particular in fintech that would be worth you spending time on regardless of what position um yeah i suppose that makes sense it's it's oddly um the way we've approached it to answer this question in a slightly different way is at smart we are often referred to as a technology company that does pensions rather than the pension company that's trying to learn how to code and um, that approach has meant that we haven't needed to hire people who are experts at pensions or, or fintech or finance or maths or whatever it is. Um, we've needed to find good coders. And so we built a testing process and interview process around that. But you may, you're right. I mean, you might want to particularly work in a certain industry that has that tendency. Um, the counter to that is if you are working with a code base that is well constructed, it shouldn't really matter what the output is what the product is so you're if you're dealing with the algorithm the changes the classes whatever it is you're 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 at a when you're making a pull request it's at a quite minute level in theory if you're um you know if, you, if you're in charge of what that pull request does and then it spits out the other end and it delivers a critical part you obviously want to know more about the uh, capability of what you're writing and, and, and make sure it's well qualified before you push it into production. So, so it would help if you had that fintech background. But if it's well constructed, you shouldn't need to. And that's been our approach. If you're working with a code base that is, you know, not broken up, not well disciplined, not, you know, that, that classic OOP piece, you may need to come from a different discipline so that you can embrace the code as it's written. But you're also going to be fighting the code in some to some respects because you need to have been there for the years that created it in that way, rather than coming at it and learning. So it would be challenging for you to leaving an organization like the wagon to go into an industry where they've had that historic, you know, legacy like approach to code. So um, 
I would like to say that anything you learn at Lewagon should allow you to turn your eye to 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 those sort of disciplines. Um, the the only caveat is that areas of 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 um, coding that focus on how the code maximizes the hardware, such as gaming and and, and so forth, you you then obviously need to have a slightly different discipline, and and that's also why there's a there's a data science uh, class as well because it's what is a separate piece. It's a very different structure to to how you learn um, other languages. But broadly speaking, I would say it shouldn't really matter which industry you end up going to. You should want to transpose all of your learnings here at Lewagon, and they should be applicable to any industry. Um, and it's ultimately about how you want to get uh, a career out of it long term, because you, you should be able to skip from a fintech to gaming or whatever it is. Um, and, and not and, you know it shouldn't really matter where you've come from. Okay. Um, as a CTO, how do you know when you're helping to push the business in the right direction? I think there's a couple of bits to that. Uh, I, do you know, honestly, I ask that question to myself because I don't have a, uh, there's no, like, no one gives you a guide, right? You don't, like, here's the CTO and here's the handbook, by the way, to, 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 to how to do your job. Um, so, you know, I've been to CTO kind of meetups and you, you, you realize that everyone's different. Um, what I have spotted is that there are two types of CTOs. There are CTOs who are excellent coders. They are phenomenal coders, and they are—they um, have a complete vision. They can, it's that scene out of the Matrix. You know, they—they they can see line by line. They can see the code, and they—they just—they can just walk through it. Um, but invariably, they are less good at putting together the business case and presenting to the the, the major sort of stakeholders or you know, raising capital, which you need to do in startups and, and, and all of that. So it's it's about the engineering and then delivery of that. The flip side of that, and more where I fall into it, is the um, business vision. It's 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 how you see the, the business going and the, the technology roadmap and what you want to achieve for the business and how you're going to grow the business. And that means you end up being more um, sort of client-facing than you might be with engineers. So my approach has always been hire really good engineers um, and then, then make sure they follow a roadmap that I've been I've been approached I've been following. So how do I how do I know I've been doing a good job? Well, given that I fall into the the other camp, my response to that would be my measure of our of our business over time. So when we started this um, this this business, we were like I said, a handful of people. You know, we 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 we, we you know we were. Uh, you know, coding in, in bedrooms and then coding in a tiny office and then coding in, you know, it's, it's that, you know, you can picture all of that. Um, it's when you start to hire more people, you, you think, well, maybe this is going to go okay, but it's still a startup. You know, you're kind of, you know, watching the cash. We, we measure our success on transactions, on AUM, assets under management, how much money that is coming in from our customers. Um, but it's a long-term thing. So people put money in each month but we make money a very tiny percentage each month. And, and actually what we're looking at is making money in three to five years. That's our forecast. So at the beginning, that was a long time away. So we were signing up hundreds of companies a day, 250 companies a day. We're coming to our website, signing up, creating an account. And that's fantastic. But it wasn't giving us cash, you know, immediately. You know, it wasn't giving us long-term cash. So the, the measure of success has been that over time, we have maintained the code quality. We've maintained the culture. We've grown the customers. They have given us money, and I, I remember the day when we crossed the threshold. We had so many customers, a, a number of customers, and then collectively they added up to us receiving a total of 
half a million pounds that we had captured on behalf of all of our clients. It was amazing, huge amount of money. Um, and you know, the measure of success today is that um, several years later, we are now processing um, 35 million pounds each month on behalf of our customers. And our total AUM, AUM just keeps on growing. So these measure, those we get from our data science team an email every day saying how much money we've got, how many customers we've got, and how many um, you know, employees and, and what, the, what the rate of growth is. And those, those are all different individual hockey sticks. So I measure those. I measure the metrics. I measure the code quality. I measure the culture. And um, I measure uh, the business measures, how our other partners now who are using our same software are also growing. We um, sold our software to a firm uh, called Zurich. You've probably heard of them. They're a, an international insurer, um, and they are using our software in Dubai to, to run the workplace pension scheme out there. And in two months, they'd captured $50 million uh, from, from their customers. So our success is measured in quite a few different metrics. But um, you've heard me talk probably most around the sort of success of the business. I've spoken more about the business than I have about lines of code. Um, but that's given you an insight into the type of CTO I am. I'm, I'm, I've got my direction of travel. I know my North Stars and I keep those metrics going. And now I have a good structure in place, engineering managers, engine, head of engineering and, and, and code quality tests to make sure that our engineers are all following that same discipline. Okay, great. Um, what sort of, what's the best advice you, you could give someone who's embarking on that journey at the moment? Um, I think, look, we've touched on a few of these bits. The, the best advice I can give, it doesn't matter where, where, what your career was or, you know, you, you're, you've chosen coding as, as a thing. Enjoy this course, right? Just this is this is a great time. It's like going back to university. This is a wonderful opportunity to uh, really delve into different areas. There'll be some classes that you don't enjoy and others that you, you, you really do enjoy. Make sure you understand which ones you favor and understand why. Go home at the evenings and then drill into the ones you didn't understand. Maybe there's something you missed. But um, enjoy the course the most. As you um, as you leave the course, take with you everything you've learned in the course, but don't relinquish the things you learned in your career previously. All of that is actually really invaluable stuff. You'll you'll have had your successes in that course that are sorry in your in your previous career that are invaluable as you move into the next career. You'll learn around yeah, everything from office politics to um, just getting on with, in work and how to how to get your your, your schedule of work done and, and organised. But um, so it doesn't it shouldn't really matter where you come from. You just need to have that discipline and that mindset and to be very open minded about what it is you're going to. There'll be opportunities that you'll will have in front of you as soon as you finish this course, and they will be from all sorts of industries. And when you're looking through those opportunities, don't discount them. Um, just because you don't like the sound of it or now today location shouldn't really matter it, it should be about what it is you think you can gain from them one most important thing is don't feel like you need to be interviewed make sure you interview them as much what can you get out of this in a, in a year from now after you've joined that that business and and, and how will you grow and how will they teach you and, and what is it they can give you those are things that People often feel afraid that they should ask when you're starting from scratch, but don't feel like you do need to. That's that's a, it's a strong message to see that somebody wants to learn whilst with you, and if they don't want to teach you, maybe you don't want to work there because it's 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 not necessarily the culture that you want to be in, having just started a career when you need to learn. Yeah, you've mentioned that quite a lot um, about how you sort of train your things. Is mentoring a big part of of what you your team does? 
I guess I keep mentioning it because it's something that I learned early where when you have a smaller team, you 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 can see line for line, you can see every PR, you can see all of those code changes that go in, and you can kind of stop the ones that um shouldn't have got through. So you can stop them going into production before beforehand. As the team grows, and as I mentioned, we, we're shipping code now quite regularly every day. Um it you you need to have a good structure in place to to make sure it's it's well structured. You know whether that's uh, static code analysis or whether that's a good CI and CD pipeline, as I mentioned. Um, but it, there's nothing there's nothing beats you know code can get through that is uh, that passes all of those tests that, that that the QAs have checked and it works, but it's just badly structured. You know it doesn't maximize the the cross-threading or whatever it is and so the output is that you, you've got some bad quality code in there and if somebody then has a, a pr that adds to that you're just going to manifest and grow that, that that issue um so the best way to combat that is to ensure everybody has the same discipline everyone has that comes from the same hymn book when it comes to writing code and how code should be sh shipped and so if you if you just hire uh, a rock star and that person well I, I know exactly what i'm doing i don't need to follow your disciplines you're going to end up with it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad code it's just different it behaves differently to how you write so irrespective of who you are you need to follow some practices in our organization at least that mean that you're end, ending going to end up um shipping code into in, into the production in a way that's going to conform with the rest of the code um and so um that mentoring is important and as i said I don't think, well, I knew we couldn't justify the type of approach that would be applicable to anyone joining until we were a team size that where you could you know, separate out some engineers who have good quality skills to then train up those people and then bring them back into the core teams. So, um, yeah, if you can, you know, if, if you get the opportunity, pick an engineering, uh, pick an engineering um, business that, that gives you that um, opportunity to be mentored and you know, do some pair programming or whatever it takes to, to get you from, you know, having finished the course and then to carry on growing and, and learning. Brilliant. And um, yeah, right, right at the beginning, you obviously you mentioned photography is a passion and you'll never leave it. Do you, how, how easy is it to sort of maintain a, a passion outside of, of this sort of field? Because it's pretty, at the moment, it feels it's very all-encompassing. So, like, uh, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Can you get some balance and still keep hobbies and, and other things on the go? Yeah, I um, it, yeah, I mentioned it's a niche I can't help but scratch. It's in there. You know, it's literally DNA. Um, you know, everyone's got a smartphone these days. I can't help but take pictures of what's going on. Um, what I might do is actually share, share a link so you can, you can see... Uh, some of the nonsense I get up to, um, but the um, the I I couldn't do it. You know, when I was working before, I was working professionally, and you know, you're, you've got studios, you've got people with great kit. Um, that they're all able to, you know, it's it's there's so much machinery that goes around taking a, a perfect image, and I couldn't do that obviously whilst having a full time career. Um, uh, I, I'm actually in a room. This is my office at home but I'm surrounded by photography kit because um, one thing lockdown has allowed me to do is to, to sort of, when I do stop work, is kind of go back and have a look at some of that kit. And um, uh, and I'm, I'm at the moment, I'm building uh, a little studio in my garden. 
got a horrible old garage that's falling down, so I'm converting that into a studio. Um, and I hope to sort of revisit sort of uh, people photography. I like, I like you, you can probably get it. I like working with people. Um, and, you know, it's not just helping them in our business, helping them grow. Um, capturing them and, and, and documenting them is something I can't help do. It, I, it just happens. That guy, we were talking about the Matrix thing. I just do that. I see pictures, even though they are, I don't have a camera with me. So it just sort of, I kind of mentally, I'm taking them. I'll, I'll, I'll share this link. And this is, this is an example of what happens if you work in my business. Um, and I'll just share this in, in, in here. So it's a link I'm chucking into the chat. It's um, snaps I've taken throughout the career of or the business of smart uh, and how and things we've done, little events, particular moments in time, and how they were important. Um, they 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 were decisive. They were moments where something happened. We got investment, or we, we signed a deal, or we just you know they're they're all like important things. Um, but you don't know them unless you were there. So they were important to me and a bunch of friends, but they just look like random black and white photos. But it's an example of what goes through my head, which is I can't let go of, of, of that. But it's very easy to carry on doing that whilst doing a day job because it's I have a phone in my back pocket all the time. You know, it's easy. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 